Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Establishment Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning, excuse me, on being established in his righteousness. This is part three. Not sure exactly how many lessons we'll have in the series, but anyway, uh, welcome. <coughs> excuse me. Just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website, lighthousediscipleship.org, and we're on our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to all of you who have partnered with us with your tithes and your offerings, in case you're wondering how to do so. <coughs> Excuse me. You can simply go to our website, lighthouseassembly.org, and uh, go to the Give page, and all the instructions are there. So, uh, um, as I said, we're, we're going to be continuing our teachings this morning on being established in righteousness. And as I've said in the first two uh, sessions so far, uh, this is our main teaching that we teach here. This is the foundational teaching that we teach. Uh, the first year we were in ministry with this particular church, we uh, we spent almost a year on this topic. Uh, this is everything I teach is is built on the foundation of this this, this teaching. The first two lessons were, I, I, and I've broken this teaching into five different parts. And the, the first part took, took two weeks to get through. It was really just a uh, prelude, um, an introduction to where we're going to be going in the next four sessions. So here we are in second, the second session, which is really the, the main message in this series about being established in righteousness. Okay? And so that, that's the main teaching here, and that's the main teaching in this segment here. So, as I've said, I believe before, you know, we're not in a race to get this done. Uh, we're going to keep going, plowing forward. Uh, but I want to go uh, slow enough that I make sure <coughs> uh, I hit all the, all the stops along the way. Okay, so with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and jump right into it. And our key verse uh, that we used last week, and we'll use it again this, this week, Ricky. Now, we're talking about being established in righteousness. We first of all need to understand what righteousness is. And let me just, uh, before I even go to the scriptures, just give you some definitions. Okay, first of all, the word <coughs> the word righteousness, it can often be translated justification um, in both the Greek and the Hebrew. And the word is used over 500 times in the Old and the New Testament. And the word is a noun, it's not a verb. <coughs> Excuse me, I believe there's a verb form that we are to live righteously. But the word righteousness is a noun. That's very important. I'm actually revolutionary for me. See, I grew up, and I don't even know where I got this concept, but I always grew up that believing, and again, I don't know where I was taught this, whether this was just my own thinking or my understanding, but I always grew up with that righteousness was right doing, doing right. And that's not, that's not the definition of the word. That's a verb. Okay, I believe we're supposed to do right, live godly, live righteously, live holy. But those are the fruits, not the root. The word righteousness is a noun. A noun is a person, place, or thing. It's not an action. Okay? We are the righteousness of God and Him. We'll eventually get to that verse. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Righteousness is not right-doing. Righteousness is a right relationship with God. 
mankind through Adam before the fall had a right relationship with God. Through sin, through the fall, man became alienated from the life of God. Man became separated. Jesus came to restore that relationship, to put us in right relationship with God. He came to sanctify us. He came to purify us. He came to make us holy. He came to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now that we are righteous, we live righteous. We live holy. We live like who we are. Okay? Before we met Christ, we were a sinner. We were alienated from the life of God. Okay? Even if we did right, even if we lived right, we were still a sinner by nature. Okay? And so now that we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the enduring word of God, First Peter 1.23, we live like who we are. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Okay? And so, righteousness is right relationship with God. It's right living. It's, it's right living, but it's right li the right living is the fruit of the seed of being a right relationship with God. Okay? We didn't live right to become right. If we can live right to become right, righteous, then we don't need Jesus. And that's the spirit of Antichrist. The only one thing that can make you righteous, and that is the blood of Jesus. Okay? But now that you are righteous, live like who you are. Don't live like who you're not. That's a hypocrite. Okay? So anyway, with that definition aside, then laid, let's uh, go to our, our main verse from last week. You know, the God of the Righteousness is a right relationship with God. <coughs> but um, actually, I want to go to our second verse first, and then we'll come back to this one. <coughs> In Romans 1 16 to 17, it says, Excuse me, that for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, it is. For the gospel of Christ is. The power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is not just, uh, you know, a lot of people want me to teach on the power of God. Well, the power of God is the gospel. What's the gospel? The birth, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. It's good news. It's too good to be true news. It's good news. It's not good advice. The word gospel is good news. That's what the word is. That's what the word is defined as. It's good news. It's not bad news. It's not good advice. It's news. It's news. It's the gospel of Christ. It's what Jesus did through the, through the finished work of the cross to make us righteous. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You can't receive salvation any other way but through the but believing the gospel. It's a power grant to salvation to everyone who believes. It's available to everybody. To the Jew first and to the Greek. Why? Because it was offered to them first. It's been offered to everybody now, but in the time it was offered to the Jews first. For the most part, the Jews rejected it. And the Gentiles accepted it. There will be, coming, there will be a, a revival of the Jews in the, in the last days. Okay? We're not going to go there right now. But what they're in is the righteousness of God revealed. Therein what? 
the gospel. He didn't change subjects. Okay? The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. From faith to faith, as is written, the just are righteous, same Greek word, shall live by his faith. So the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The gospel is the good news. Okay? So not only is righteousness a right relationship with God by definition, the gospel reveals this righteousness. It reveals this right relationship that we have with God from faith to faith as a just and righteous children by his faith. It's a righteousness of faith. We receive this righteousness by faith. We receive it from faith to faith. Okay? You don't receive it by good works. No, you receive it from faith to faith. Now, people will argue, well, faith without works is dead. True. Because true, true biblical faith is never alone. If you believe something, there's going to be a corresponding action. Faith is not dead. Faith is alive. True biblical faith... If you believe something, there will be a response to that. Okay? It's faith in his grace. It's not in faith alone. It's not faith in ourselves. It's faith in the gospel. It's faith in God and what he's done. <coughs> okay? But true faith is never alone. True faith will, will act, act, act upon what we believe. What we really believe is what we really believe is the direction that we will go and what we say, what we do, what we how we act. Okay? And so so the gospel of Christ is the power of God's salvation to everyone who believes, and the gospel of Christ it reveals the righteousness of God. Okay? And this gospel, the good news <coughs> going back to the first verse, how beautiful upon the mountain of the people him who brings this gospel, this good news. Who proclaims peace because it's in the gospel. Okay? He shot at <coughs> Excuse me. Be our shot with the gospel of peace, Ephesians 6 15. Okay? It's the gospel of peace. Who proclaims, who brings glad tidings of good things? Who proclaims salvation? So this gospel proclaims peace, it proclaims peace. Salvation, for salvation again. Salvation is uh, by definition both the Hebrew and the Greek. Right now we're reading the Hebrew, but in the last verse we read it from the we read the word salvation from the Greek. And both the word salvation, the Greek, and also the Hebrew in Isaiah, it means wholeness, healing, prosperity, deliverance. Um, it include and it also more importantly includes our forgiveness of our sins. That's wholeness. Okay? And so, this gospel, this good news, not only reveals righteousness, it reveals, it, pro it proclaims peace. It proclaims wholeness and healing and prosperity. It says to Zion, God's people, his bride, your God reigns. That's what this gospel proclaims. And so it behooves us, based on what we said last week, we need to be established in this good news. We need to be established in the gospel. That's the power of God. We need to be established <coughs> in the gospel that reveals this righteousness. 
So we're going to be talking about being a. Why <coughs> we beat this cop? Okay. If we're going to talk about being established in righteousness, we need to be established in what reveals righteousness, the gospel. They follow me. So that we can live from faith to faith because the just, the righteous, lives by this faith. So we need to not only be established. So when we're talking about being established in righteousness, it means that we need to be established in the gospel because the gospel reveals righteousness. And the gospel proclaims these things. Peace, salvation, glad tidings of good things. It brings good news. And so we need to be established in the gospel, and so that we can be established in righteousness. Okay, now I just have my, on the screen <coughs> my favorite verse. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now we'll get we'll get into this verse in a few minutes <coughs> if we get that far today. For he, Jesus. For, for he, God, excuse me, made him Jesus, who knew no sin. Not only did he not commit a sin, but he was not born in sin. He was, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Why? Why did that have to be? Because God designed the human body, male and female. The seed comes from the male. And since Adam, every child that's been born has a seed of Adam in it. But Jesus is different. Jesus was born of a virgin. Why? Because Jesus, Jesus, was, Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not through Joseph, who she was betrothed to. Later on, they got together and they had other kids. But when Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary, a virgin, she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's the male that carries the seed. So in one sense, Jesus was another prototype. Uh, Jesus was not born of corruptible seed, Adam. He was born of incorruptible seed. And you and I who were born again, we're not put back into our mother's womb and born from the same seed of Adam were born of Jesus. So not only did Jesus, who knew no sin, he became sin for us that we might become. And when you study this word become, it means to be born of. That we might be born of the righteousness of God in who? Jesus. In him. We're not righteous by ourselves. We're the righteous God in Him. See, a lot of people want to leave out the in Him. You leave out the in Him, you change the whole dynamic. We're the righteous of God in Him. And some people think that's an arrogant statement. When I tell people I'm the righteous God in Christ, people think I'm arrogant. That's not arrogant, that's the truth. The Word of God says I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I didn't say I was righteous by myself. In myself, of myself, I'm the righteous God in Him. Okay? But in Him, I'm righteous. 
In him I'm not a sinner. To say I'm a sinner still in Christ is to mock the cross of Christ. That's not true. Okay? I'm the righteous God in him. Why? Why am I not a sinner? Because he became my sin. And what happened to him? He was crucified. He was buried. And he rose again, not as a sinner, but he rose again, as the Bible says in Romans 4.25, he rose again for my righteousness. And we'll get into that, some of that teaching a little bit later in our study. Okay. So we are born of God. We are the righteous God in him. And we need to be established in this fact. We need to be established what this verse says. And we're gonna we're gonna build context around this verse in the end of the little while. Okay? So again, if we're talking about being established in anything for that matter. If you're gonna be established in something, you need to consider the foundation of that. You can't be established in anything if you don't have a foundation right. Am I making sense? Okay? And it says in Psalm 89, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. How many, I know I can't, I'll ask this question, but I can't hear you through the internet. How many believe that God is on the throne? He's the King of Kings, He's the Lord of Lords. And no matter whether you believe that, accept that, it doesn't change the fact that He is King and He has a throne. And it says in Hebrews that his scepter is righteousness. But we'll get, we'll get to that later. Okay. But, so God, and what's a throne? A throne is where the king governs the kingdom. It's not just a seat, even though it is. It's the highest seat in the land. And whoever sits on that seat governs whatever kingdom is in that when you talk about kingdom, is where a king has dominion. And within the kingdom, there's a king. And that king sits on the throne. But the foundation of God's throne is righteousness. So if we're going to understand the true sovereignty of God, not the religious sovereignty of God, the true sovereignty of God, <coughs> And his justice is the foundation of this throne. The throne of God is established on righteousness. And if the throne <coughs> excuse me, if the throne of God is established on righteousness, it behooves that you and I, who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus to be made kings and priests to reign on the earth, Revelation 5. Chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. We've been redeemed by the blood of God, by the blood of Jesus, to be kings and priests to reign on the earth. We'll get to that scripture later. I think I touched on it in my first lesson, but we'll touch on it more later. But if we are going to be true kings and priests, and we're going to be established in God, we need to also be established on what God's throne is established on, which is righteousness and justice. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. I'm not going to touch it so much on that in this series. I have in many other series. But that's talking about jubilee. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in your light of your countenance. 
And in your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. I love that. In their righteousness they are exalted. You know, whenever you really talk about righteousness and it's, um, and it's true, unbiased, unpious version, those who believe <coughs> and teach the righteousness of God to the religious people, you will become arrogant. You will seem, you'll be seen as arrogant. For example, didn't Cain have an issue with Abel? Didn't Esau have an issue with Jacob? Didn't Ishmael have an issue <coughs> with Isaac? Didn't the, the prodigal older brother have an issue with the prodigal? Did the Pharisees have an issue with Jesus? And there's a whole teaching. I've done this teaching. It's been a while. It's been several years now since I've done this teaching. But Ishmael will always see a problem with those who are established in righteousness. Eliab had an issue with David. Thought he was cocky. David was just established in righteousness. Now it's wrong for us to exalt ourselves. But in his righteousness, we are exalted. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Other translation says, and he will exalt you. It's okay to be exalted if God's doing the exaltation. That make sense? You're not exalting yourself. When I say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, a lot of people think I'm being arrogant. No. The righteousness of God is exalting me. He's not exalting me above God, but in His righteousness, he, I'm exalted. I'm not exalted. You're not exalted. I'm not making this all about me. I'm just using me as an example. We are not exalted outside of him and his righteousness. We are exalted in his righteousness. Are you following me? Okay. You can get mad at me all you want, but I didn't say it. God said it. Okay. For you are the glory of their strength, and you are the favor our horn is exalted. Okay. So... What we're establishing right now is that we're talking about being established in righteousness. In order to be established in anything, we need to be established in this foundation. Righteousness is the foundation of God's throne. Righteousness, going backwards, is revealed by the gospel. And it behooves us to know the gospel. It behooves us to know that who we become. In Christ, the righteousness of God. It behooves us to be established in the foundation that is on the throne of God. Because everything else, everything else, finances, health, relationships, and everything else, comes from 
his kingdom, his kingship in our life. And the foundation of that is righteousness. If we are established in righteousness, we are in a good place for our king to reign in our lives. In our ministry, in our marriages, in our families, in our business, in our education, whatever we need God's reign. And in his righteousness, there is an exaltation. It's not of us. It's not us exalting ourselves. But there is an exaltation from God in his righteousness. In other words, let me put this this way. When you are established in righteousness, it, it puts you in a place above your problems. There's an exaltation. Someone the other day was telling me about a dream they had about me being sick and whatever, and my wife and I just flat out rebuked it. We didn't rebuke the person, we rebuked the dream. Okay? And this person was, one of their arguments was going to be that, well, the devil attacks us. I said, the devil can attack all day long, and he might, he might do so, but sickness is not going to reign in this house. The devil does not have authority in my life. Why? Because I'm the righteousness of God in him, and in his righteousness I am exalted. No weapon formed against me shall prosper, but every, every word that rises up against me and judgment I shall condemn, because his right, righteousness, my righteousness is from him. We'll get to that verse a little bit later in Isaiah 54, 17. So right now I'm just trying to establish the fact that Righteousness is the foundation. Let me give you another scripture about righteousness being the foundation. Begin with Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to who? The Hebrews, the Jews. And he's writing to them, and this is what he says. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Now that just will blow your boat. I can imagine your your mentor, your pastor, apostle, however you want to place that title, comes to you. You've been you've been with them for a while. They've been teaching you, training you, discipling you. He says, by now you should be teaching others, but someone's got to t- teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. In other words, you haven't learned anything yet. Because you should be teaching others, but someone's got to teach you again the very first principles, the very first of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. What's he talking about? What does that have to do with righteousness? Everything. Because he didn't stop there. Verse 13. For everyone who protects only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that is, those who are by reason of use have their senses exercised both good and evil. <coughs> so, again, let's slow down. Those who only need milk are unskilled in righteousness. They're a babe. 
Now, how would you like someone to say, you're still a kid. You're still an infant. You're such a, you're so immature. Because anyone who's not skilled in the word of righteousness is immature. Okay? Because, in other words, those who are unskilled in righteousness have still to learn the very first principles of the order of God. If you don't understand righteousness, you still need to learn the first oracles of God. And if you are not skilled in righteousness, you have no business teaching others. You can't teach others when you haven't even learned the very first principles. You can't teach others solid food when you are still choking on milk. Okay? So, when we're talking about being established in righteousness, if we're not established in righteousness, we're still immature. We're still a babe. And instead of us being able to teach others, we still need someone to teach us the first principles of the oracles of God. Are you following me? Because if you're not following me, you're still in milk. I love milk, but I do love some solid food too. Okay? But it goes on. That's the end of chapter 5, but it goes on to chapter 6. Therefore, therefore of what? What he just said. <laughs> therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary <coughs> principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead work and the faith toward God of the doctrine of baptism of laying on the hands of resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. A couple of weeks ago, when we were in Ephesians chapter 4, it says baptism singular. Here we have baptism plural. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, but there's three different baptisms. Baptizes in the body of Christ, water baptism, and we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, But the point he's saying is that uh, if you're not skilled in righteousness, you're still a babe, and you need someone to teach you again the first oracles. Not only that, he says... We need to be established in righteousness so that we can begin to eat solid food. Okay? Milk is good. It's okay to be a babe. There's a season in our life when we were all a babe. And there's all, and as spiritually speaking, as Christians, there's nothing wrong with being a babe. We were all there at one point. When you became born again, you did not know everything right away. When you came out of the womb, you didn't know how to add, subtract, read, write. You didn't even know how to, you weren't even potty trained yet. Okay? You had to learn everything. Spiritually speaking, it takes a while to be discipled. Okay? But one of the, the first place you should be discipled is of the oracles of God, which is righteousness. That's the very first thing. That's why it's so foundational. And... This foundation is the elementary principles. He says, leaving the discussion. Why are we leaving? Are we forsaking it? No. See, when I went to school, in early elementary, I learned the basics of math, how to add, subtract, multiply, divide. I learned the alphabet. I learned how to read and write. I learned how to spell. I learned some social skills. I learned some other things that I needed to learn. 
But as I went to upper elementary and to junior high and to high school and college, I didn't have to learn the elementary teachings again. Why? Because I learned that in the early age so I can build precept upon precept. There was a season of my life in, in, in kindergarten, I couldn't learn algebra again. In first grade, second grade, third grade, I could not learn algebra yet. I still don't really know it. But anyway, I couldn't learn it yet. Why? Because I needed to learn the basics. <coughs> I couldn't read <coughs> things like, um, what's it, favorite, um, I learned in high school, um, Romeo, Romeo, Romeo and Juliet. Um, Shakespeare? Shakespeare, thank you. All right. Uh, I, did, I couldn't learn that in kindergarten. They didn't take, it wouldn't require reading in third grade. Okay? I was still reading elementary books and elementary classes. And, but you know what? There's a lot of things in high school I learned, but I didn't really learn. I just learned it in the past in class. Because I didn't really, I don't use it every day. But the elementary stuff, I use all the time. And I use it regularly. And, you, and you, until you learn the elementary stuff, you can't learn the rest. The elementary is foundational. It's the first principles. But once you learn it, you can move on to other things. Okay? So never leave the discussion of elementary principles of Christ. Let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation. That's what he's saying. You don't need, once you lay the foundation, you don't need to keep laying it. Sometimes we do need, to, do need to come back and revisit to make sure we got the foundation right. Okay? Because a lot of us don't, never have not learned the foundation right. And so we have learned all these other doctrines and teachings uh, because the foundation was never right. And so everything else is wrong. <coughs> okay? And that's where he's bringing correction here. In Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12. I mean, chapter 5 verse 6, chapter 6. And what's the foundation? He's talking about repentance and dead works, baptism, and whatnot. He, he, he expands on what the foundation is, which all goes back to righteousness. Okay? Because I, I can connect everything he just said to righteousness. Now keep in mind, when we're talking about being a babe and immature and unskilled and elementary teachings, it was also something we talked about last week, where he gave some apostles in the fivefold ministry for the perfecting of the saints, because he says, let us all go to perfection. Okay? Perfection of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the body, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why? So we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a perfect man, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's the same thing that he's saying here. We need to get to perfection. We need to be established in the measure of the stature of Christ. We need to be established in the unity of the faith. And you see, there was a colon here of, of, of what being edified looks like, so we all come to the end of faith. And in case you don't understand this, there's another colon that he expounds on in verse 14, 15, that we would no longer be children, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, being deceived. But we're supposed to grow up in him in all things. And I established the fact a couple weeks ago that, that there's nothing wrong with being a babe. But you don't want to be a babe all your life. Okay? 
See, the, the thing about children is children are awesome, but children can be gullible. If they like you, they'll listen to you, even if you're teaching them garbage. Okay? Children uh, are codependent, and there's a there's a time there's a time and season of life to be codependent. Some a, a, a two-year-old can't change their own diaper. Can't feed themselves, can't get go get a job, can't drive a car, can't go buy their own clothes, etc. etc. Even spiritually speaking, when you first became a Christian, you need to be discipled. That's why Paul says in Timothy, don't put a novice in ministry. There's a time that you need to grow up into him in all things. And a ch child can also cannot be reproductive. There's a, there's a season in life where God designed for the body to recreate. But it's not at a child's stage. It's not when they're an infant. It's not when they're still a child. Okay, still a babe. So there's nothing wrong with being a children. But spiritually speaking, a child can very easily be deceived. And those who are immature, those who, going back to Hebrews, those who are not established in the first principles, those who are unskilled in righteousness, those who have, have to lay again and again the elementary teachings, can be still a babe and can still be vulnerable to being deceived. And they can't go reproduce. They can't go and teach other people. Why? Because they, they still don't have it down the field. They're not established. I don't want to just teach you righteousness. I want you to be established in righteousness. I want you to be established in the first principles of the oracles of God so that you are skilled, so that you can eventually begin to have solid metal food. Because the foundation has been laid, and if the foundation is strong, everything you build on that should be okay. And we might have to deal with some things on some, you know, there's some things that not built on the foundation can be wrong, but there shouldn't, there really shouldn't be any major problems if the foundation is good. See, there's some things that people have tried to entice me with through the years, but I won't receive it because it, it, it won't align with the foundation. Of righteousness. Once you're skilled in righteousness, there's some things you will just reject because it's not the Spirit of God. It's not the Gospel. It's not of the Christ. It's not the Spirit of God. How do I know? Because it does not fit the foundation. There's some other things. Well, you know, you can have your own interpretation on some of those things. And nothing of a private interpretation, that's not where I'm going. It's just some things are not essential. What do I mean by essential? Well, your vital signs are essential. Okay? If you're knocked unconscious, the first thing someone who's experiencing that is going to see making sure that you have a pulse and make sure that you're breathing. Everything else is secondary. For example, if my arms cut off, that is going to be painful, and it's going to it's going to affect a quality of life. But it's not essential. I can still live. It's important. Okay. If uh, if I lose my eyesight, 
or my hearing, I can still live. I can still breathe. I can still have a heartbeat. It's going to affect some quality of life, but it's not essential. It's important. If my tonsils come out, I probably won't notice. It's not going to affect, it's not essential. I can still uh, breathe and I can still have a heartbeat and I can still have a quality of life. It's not going to affect uh, my everyday life. Although something's missing that didn't come with the original package. Okay, but it's not going to be as essential. It's definitely not essential and it's definitely doesn't even fit important. The foundation of righteousness is essential. Some other teachings on that foundation, some are important, some are less important. Or you follow me? Okay? So, uh, elementary that's what elementary teachings are. So we need to be established in righteousness. We need to be established in the elementary teachings. See, if in elementary school I learned math wrong, I understand there's a new way of doing math nowadays. Okay, I'm not going to go there. I'll keep this uh, um, sane. Okay. Um, but if the foundation's wrong, all math is going to be wrong. No matter what I learn, it's all going to be wrong. Reading and writing, probably some of the things that I, 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 I do wrong all the time with my reading and writing is because maybe somewhere... In my elementary teaching and upbringing, there was a defect. Okay? And I don't know what I've done wrong, but I just know I'm uh, not the best with grammar at times. I'm not the best with my penmanship at times. Somewhere along the line, I, I got sloppy with some things. Okay? And a lot of that was learned or unlearned in elementary school. Okay? Your elementary uh, upbringing is essential. Your whole life is essential in one sense, but there's something elementary that's foundational uh, with the elementary upbringing. Okay, let's move on. So we're talking about being established in righteous, righteousness, being established in anything for that matter. We need to understand the essence of the gospel, which we're gonna, we'll get, get into more deeply in a, in a little while. I don't know how far we'll get today. But we also understand that, that righteousness is a foundation, okay? But we also need to be established in Scripture. Because Scripture, if not only is righteousness the foundation, but all Scripture, not some Scripture, not your favorite Scripture, not the top ten Scriptures, but all Scripture <coughs> is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and fully equipped for every good work. We're talking about being established in righteousness. Why? It's the foundation of the throne. It's the elementary teachings. It's the first principles of the work of God. All scripture. And the way I like to read this verse is profitable for doctrine and righteousness, for reproof and righteousness, 
for correction and righteousness, for instruction and righteousness. Why? So that the man of God, or woman of God, <coughs> ladies, you can switch that pronoun if you need to, or that word to woman. For the man of God, a <coughs> person of God, let me put it that way, may be complete, perfected, and fully equipped for every good work. If you are not indoctrinated in righteousness, you're not complete. If you're not reproved, corrected, and instructed in righteousness, you're not complete. And you are not equipped for every good work. How can you be a teacher? How can you be a ministry? How can you help others? How can you do good work if you are not trained in righteousness? You need to be established in righteousness. You need all these aspects of being indoctrinated, being reproved, being corrected, and instructed and trained in righteousness so that you can be equipped and you can do every good work. We can't move on. We can't if the foundation is not laid. Well, how do you lay the foundation? All scripture. All scripture. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is the foundation of his throne. Righteousness is the elementary teachings of the first principles of the oracle of God. And all scripture trains you in righteousness. That's why we need to be established in righteousness. That's how you get first and complete for every good work. Now, I want to switch gears just a little bit, but I'm still on this uh, sub-point about all Scripture. Piggybacking on what we just read here, Timothy. But in Romans, we'll spend more time on this later, but I'm going to introduce it now. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now... The righteousness of God, apart from the law, is being revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time here. Okay. Again, we're not in a race, so I want to make sure I get through this. And we'll be spending a lot much more time on this scripture as we go forward. Remember, we just established that all scripture is possible for training and structure of righteousness. Okay? We've been <coughs> establishing all morning so far importance of being established in the gospel and being established in righteousness. Okay. Now it says here, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. Now we already established that the word righteousness and the word justified are the same word. So I can read I can restate this word uh, this this phrase by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be declared righteous. Being declared righteous and being declared justified are the same word, the same, and the same uh, definition in the Greek and also the Hebrew. Are you following me? So, by keeping the law, 
you can't be justified. You can't be righteous. Keeping the law will not make you righteous. Okay. However, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now we already established, I should have put it here in the notes here, but we already established that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, the law reveals sin. So when you hear a message from a pastor, preacher, teacher on Facebook, whatever it might be, and it's revealing sin, you just have you just heard the law. But if the message you're hearing is revealing righteousness, you just heard the gospel. All the time on Facebook, I hear a lot of messages about sin. What's the knowledge of sin? The law. What reveals righteousness? The gospel. The gospel does not reveal sin. The gospel reveals righteousness. The only thing that reveals sin is the law. And we needed the law to reveal sin so that we knew that we needed a Savior. That's what the book of Galatians was trying to convey. And we'll get there eventually. So, right now, just for a moment, while we're here, and we'll spend more time with this later, this is how you know what message you are hearing. Because if it gives you the knowledge of sin, you heard the law. If it reveals righteousness, you heard the gospel. Am I making sense? Okay. There's a place for the law, and there's a place for sin to be revealed. And the law, there's a place for the law. And as, as Paul says, the law is good if it's used lawfully. But there's a place for the gospel. And that is to reveal righteousness. Let's move on. But now. When's now? Is now tomorrow? Now yesterday? Now ten years from now? Now is now. Now is now. Right now. Now this was written almost 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. It says, but now. And we are still reading this chapter, this book, now. But now. See, he says, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified, for, the, for by the law is no sin. But now. <clears throat> the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Right now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. That's what we just talked about. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. That makes it a little bit confusing for some people. And I will have a whole session 
segment on this being witnessed by the law of the prophets later on. But let's, let's address some things right now. It said that by the law, by the deeds of the law, no one's justified. No one's declared righteous. It declares that, it says that now the righteous God apart from the law is revealed. The righteousness, the righteousness that is being revealed is apart from the law. The law is not revealing righteousness. You can't be justified. You can't be declared righteous by the law. Yet at the same time, while righteousness is being revealed apart from the law, right now, this righteousness of God apart from the law is being revealed is witnessed by the law. <coughs> the law is not revealing the righteousness of God. But the law and the prophets are witnessing, are giving a testimony that this is true. And some people get very confused by that. How can it be revealed apart from the law and yet being testified by the law. But God. Welcome to the wisdom of God. So we're going to be going there in the weeks to come. This gospel reveals the right of God. This righteousness is revealed not from the law, but from the gospel. At the same time, I'm not throwing out the law. Some people think I'm throwing out the law. No, why? Because the law is going to give testimony to us. And it's awesome. We're not under the law, we're under Christ. But the law will testify of this revelation of the righteousness of God. And we'll come back and we'll, we'll say that. We've got 15 minutes left. Let's move on. We'll spend more time with that later. A very key passage right there. We're going to expound on it. Okay. Behold. Behold. There's a, the word behold means to see with the mind. That's what it means. The word behold. Behold something. See it. Put your gaze upon it. Look. Not, don't just look with your eyes, but look with the eyes of your heart, with your mind. Behold it. I mean, it's like, behold, look at it. Pay attention, study it. Behold it. That word behold is used several times in the, in the, in the last sec segment of this teaching series. I will have a whole segment on this word behold. But let's look at a few here at the beginning. <coughs> the first one is from 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 21. It says, <coughs> and we'll have a whole segment on this later on. Excuse me. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge this. Now, some people get tripped up with that word judge. It doesn't mean judge like I'm judging you or like a, a judge with a gavel. Making a sentence, a judgment on something. But this word judge and used in this context means the love of 
Christ compels us because it com it, it's compelling us to come to this conclusion, this judgment, this conclusion on the matter. You know, when the crime scene and the detectives are going in and they're looking at all the elements of the room or the scene, they're coming to a judgment what happened. Okay. We have a little beagle. And if that we came home one day and the house was a wreck and the sliding door was open in the back and the beagle was grinning ear to ear. She pilveraged the, the pantry. She pilveraged all the trash cans. I would come to a judgment that there's been a beagle on the loose. The beagle just had a the day of her life. I got some cleanup work to do. It's almost too late to put her in the doghouse because she won't even remember what she did, but she enjoyed it every moment of it. I came to a judgment of something. Okay? And so, that's what this word means. So the love of Christ compels us to come to this conclusion. And there's a colon. What is that conclusion? The love of Christ compels us to come to this settlement on the matter. That if one Jesus died for all, then all died. The love of Christ compels me to come to this conclusion that if Jesus died for me, I died. I'm a dead man. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, excuse me, but for him who died for them and rose again. That's Jesus. He goes on to say, but it's in the same context. Because this is true. Because we all what? Died. The love of Christ compels us to come to this conclusion that we died. That's basically what he's saying here. With, because we did die, we live for him, not for ourselves. Okay? That's the fruit of this. But the root is the love of God makes me, compels me to come to this conclusion. I'm a dead man. I don't live for myself anymore. I'm not. Why? You see anybody in the grave living for themselves anymore? No. They don't even get to pick where they're going to be buried. Or cremated, or whatever the case would be. Okay? But because this is true, because we died in Christ. Therefore, therefore what? What you just said. <coughs> Excuse me. Therefore, from now on, from now on, this will always be true because this because this is true, this will always be true. We regard no one according to the flesh. Why? Because we're not, we died. I don't regard me as according to flesh. I don't regard you according to flesh. Not even Christ according to flesh. Christ being the one who walked the earth. Because he rose again with a glorified body. He walked through the walls. That's going to be so cool. I mean, that's one of the least benefits of going to heaven one day with a glorified body. 
But what can Rock to Qualls? I mean, it makes me think of Casper, you know? But anyway, uh, you know, anyway, guys, I'll move on. Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, I should have highlighted. Behold, get what we're talking about. See with the mind. Come to the gaze on this side. Put your focus right here. Behold, all things have become new. Because we died, and we need to be established in this. We're talking about being established in righteousness. But I'm standing up some, some more. That we need to be we need to be called that we are a new creation. We're not who we were. Why? We, Lord, we died. We're a new creation. Folks, we, many of us have heard this all our lives, especially verse 17 here. But day to day, in and out, through our jobs, through our families, through the things we do, we don't necessarily make decisions and live as though this is true. And yet the love of God compels us to come to this conclusion. Now, I'm, I'm crucified with Christ. No longer I live as Christ who lives in me. <coughs> I'm a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. All things have become new. What does this have to do with righteousness? Everything. We're not done yet. Okay. Verse 18. Excuse me. Now all things are of God who has already, past tense, has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. God through Christ. We're in the same context. We didn't. Well, next verse. Okay. Don't lose the credit. I'm not on a new thought. I'm on the same thought I just was on. About the love of God compelling us that we are, behold, we are a new creation. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself, through his Son, Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I want to pause there just for a moment. I'm going to come back to this verse. Where did we see this already? Last week, when we were talking about, oops, I run away. But last week we were talking about the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness. So the ministry of righteousness is the ministry of the Spirit, but it's also the ministry of reconciliation. The love of God compels us that we come to this conclusion that we died and we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. I don't know myself, I don't know you after the flesh anymore. He's reconciled me and you to himself, to his son. And he's given us the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of his spirit, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, so what's the That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. All that sounded good until we got to this point because most of us, this just messes up with our religious theology. And there's some sacred cows that are falling in the room. Plump, plump, plump. Kaboom. 
I know I'm not saying that well. What is the ministry of righteousness? What is the ministry of reconciliation? That he has given, he's reconciled us to, he's reconciled not just us. We understand us when we see Christ, but he's not, he's reconciled the world. The, the God forsaken doesn't want anything to do with God's world to himself. Not including their trespasses to them. And there's a lot of people, some of us, have said, I can't wait till Jesus comes and makes it right and you get what you deserve. And God's the opposite. He's not even imputing their trespasses to them. What does that mean, imputing? It's, a, it's a, an accounting term. And I don't know what country you're from. I don't know how you do your finances. But if you had a credit card and you charge things to your account, food, a restaurant, a hotel bill, a rental car, maybe your travel plans, anything you would charge to that account, according to the bank, according to the credit card company, those charges would be imputed to your account. And when you make a payment on that, your bill, that payment would be credited or imputed to your account. It's a county term. But God says he reconciles the world to himself through Jesus, called the ministry of reconciliation, called the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of his spirit. And he's not, God's not charging the world's trespasses to their account. And people say, that's not fair. Right. There's nothing about the gospel. There's nothing about righteousness. There's nothing about grace and mercy that's fair. We all deserve hell. Even the best of us. And the gospel message isn't about fair. It's about Jesus becoming your sin so that you can become the righteousness of God. That's not fair. It's called grace. It's called mercy. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. And have committed to us this word of reconciliation. But he's not done. So God has reconciled us to himself. And we get that as Christians. And he's reconciled the world to himself. And he goes on to say, now then, we are ambassadors, he's talking to us Christians, for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. And that's where some of us get confused. Like, we by itself, we understand this verse, God made us as ambassadors to Plead with the world, be reconciled with God. We can understand this verse by itself. But we can't understand this verse subsequent to what we just read. Because he said, be reconciled to God. But he already told us he reconciled us to himself. He's already told us that he's reconciled the world to himself. Now he tells us to be reconciled. I'm confused. How can I reconcile something he's already reconciled? 
See, this word reconciliation, of being reconciled, is also a counting term. Again, I don't know exactly how you might do banking in the other parts of the world. But if you get your credit card statement, your bank statement, and you haven't been keeping a journal or record of your expenses and, and, and deposits and credits and your debits and your own ledger, but if you are smart, wise, for your business, for your own financials, you should always know how much money you have in the bank. Or some type of bill, like a credit card bill. You should know where you stand at all times. And every month, when that bank reconciles their own accounts, because every business, every bank reconciles their accounts, they send you a statement based on the subsidiary account they have with you. You're only one account of many accounts that they have. And when they reconcile their accounts, they give all their members who they have an individual account with a statement of their account. That makes sense? You put all the accounts together, you get the main bank account uh, together. It'll make, make it sense, hopefully. Yeah. But let's say you get your bank statement. And according to your ledger, you have a thousand dollars. Actually, let's, let's do this another way, and then we'll, we'll do it the way I think it's good. Let's just say that you think you only have a thousand dollars, but the bank—you get the bank statement back, and they say you have ten thousand dollars. Well, unless you reconcile your own account with what the bank says that you have. In your mind, you only have $1,000 when you, in reality you have $10,000. You will never use that other $9,000 because you only think you have $1,000 when you actually have $10,000. Why? Because you didn't reconcile your account. The bank already reconciled on their account, but according to your ledger, you didn't reconcile. Let's flip that. Let's say... The bank gives you a reconciliation, a statement saying that you, and you, again, you only think you have $1,000, but the bank says you have $0. And so if you don't reconcile, when the next time you go use your card, or write a check, or go to the bank or the ATM to give money back, cash out, you're going to be declined. Why? Because you are trying to receive money that you don't have, even though in your ledger you think you have it. And why? Because you didn't reconcile. See, God has already reconciled not just you, but the world to himself through who? Jesus Christ. That's called the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of righteousness. As far as God is concerned, he's already, he's already reconciled. But if you don't reconcile in your book, you're going to still think that you are a sinner and not saved. Or, even though God reconciled the world to himself, the world can reject the reconciliation 
and say, I know that Jesus paid for my sins, but I'm going to reject that. For example, if you owed the bank $10,000 and I came and paid it for you, but instead of coming, but and coming and pay for you, you say, "Dad, I don't. I reject that. I don't want you paying. I don't want your charity. I don't want your help. I'm going to do it myself. I offer to pay it for you, so you can reconcile your accounts with the bank. But you rejected it, and you're going to you're going to do it on your own. Even though I was willing to pay ten thousand dollars." No interest I was willing to pay for, but you said no. You told me to go take a hike and that you didn't want my my help, my charity, my 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 uh, compassion. So now it's between you and the bank. I offered, but you rejected it. And that's what the world has done with Christ. He, he paid for their sins, but they're saying, I don't want any of that. I don't want his reconciliation. I don't want his mercy. I don't want his righteousness. He offered to reconcile the world, but they didn't reconcile on their own. Am I making sense? So, Jesus has reconciled the books. And what is that reconciliation? My favorite verse. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. In him. How does it become? Because God has made, made the reconciliation, but until we reconcile it on our end... We haven't become. He's not going to force his righteousness on us. He's not going to force his love on us that compels us that we, he died for all. See, this whole passage, this whole context started with the love of God has compelled us to come to this conclusion. But if we reject the love of God to die, who died for us, by becoming our sin and dying for us. And although we, even though he made a reconciliation, we rejected that. We, we said, we will not be reconciled. Then we took this that he did for us, and we shoved it away. We said, Jesus, you go take a hike. Okay. That's what many of the world has done. He's not going to, see, he doesn't make it mandatory. It's mandatory in the sense that there's only one way to heaven, receive Jesus. But he doesn't force it on us, because if he forced it, it's not love. Love is a free will. Intimacy should be a choice. It's not forced. If it's forced, it's not love. But, he, see, he took the first step. He made the first move. He did what we couldn't do. And if we receive his reconciliation, we receive his righteousness. And it behooves us to behold that. To behold, going back real quick, that we are a new creation. All things have become new. We're not a sinner. We are the righteousness of God in Him. We need to behold that. We need to be established in that. 
we need to be established on what this is because this is who we are now. The old man died. The old man has been reconciled. The old man is gone. But we are now a new creation. And that new creation is the righteousness of God in him. And that's what we need to behold. See with the mind. We need to gaze. We need to focus. We need to be established in that truth and that ministry. Well, I'm out of time. We're going to pick it up here next week. I'll do a little bit of recap until we and then get back on this behold because i got two more main points on this word behold before we go forward. Um, so about halfway through. Um, but again, we're not in a rush. Okay? And so um, you guys make it a good week. And we'll see you next week. God bless.